Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Iniesta's in the middle. Torres is trying to find him. It's broken for Fabregas. Now it's Iniesta. This is it. Hello, big interview listeners. My name is Neil White, and from Backpage, this is World Cup 2010 Revista. We're looking back at Spain's win in the World Cup 10 years ago, step by step, with the man who is with them throughout that journey, Graham Hunter. Spain have just defeated Portugal 1-0 in the round of 16, and today we're going to look at their quarterfinal against Paraguay. Graham, I guess Paraguay had more players that would be less well-known by Vicente Del Bosque's players and his staff. So I thought this would be a good time to look at his analysis team. There were two guys in particular who would often be removed from the tight-knit community of Spain's group to track their next opponents. When you get to a tournament, um, there are so many things that heighten in importance. And some of them are things like um, team spirit, lack of boredom, um, the ability to get a, a player patched up and back out on the, the pitch uh, quickly, um, boosting somebody's confidence. In the last episode, we talked about the way in which everybody sort of rallied around Fernando Llorente. He comes on against Portugal, makes a difference. You can see that the, the time span between something being needed and then that element, whether it be physical, psychological, um, information um, coming into play is, is really small in a tournament. So you need to be, you can be as prepared as you like, but the people you're talking about don't, if you took a snapshot look at Antonio Fernandez and Paco Jimenez, they wouldn't tally with the way you've set them up because you made it sound like that they had a a backroom team of scouts and analysts who kind of pressed a sort of Star Trek button on a control panel and and vanished off and popped up somewhere else. Whereas, in fact, Paco Jimenez was um, three years older than Del Bosque. Um, I was going to say in 2010, but he still is. And, and therefore, not a spring chicken and two years away from retiring. 
um, Antonio Fernandez. Uh, so, so Paco Jimenez, I'll come to in a second, but he was the he was the old style football guy who looks at game, looks at the way a player runs, who kind of wets his finger, puts his finger up, and says, "Right, the, the wind is blowing this way." He is not a number cruncher, nor, by the way, is, is Vicente Del Bosque. So they are old school who like to talk in football terms, who talk about impressions, ideas, what they've seen, rather than what stats or numbers or trends um, or, or machinery that's strapped to players' chests are telling them. The way in which the, there's a bit of tessellation is that Antonio Fernandez is kind of like a wee schoolboy prop forward in terms of his shape. He's, he's like a little cube, glasses... Utterly different from the old wizened grizzled I've seen at all, Paco Jimenez and and Antonio Fernandez, much more analytical, much more modern. So they fitted together, and it's just as well they did fit together because a lot of what they did to produce information for Vicente Del Bosque and Tony Grandi, who's um, Tony Grandi is is like somebody out of a who'd have been just on the edges of the Rat Pack. Hair that is grey, not because of his age, but because of how much he smoked. So elegant looking, but slightly debauched. And they needed not only good information about their rivals, but information packaged up in the way that they wanted it. There's no way Del Bosque wanted to be deluged with facts and figures. He wanted, how does the rival shape up? What type of passing do they want to use? Who are the danger men? Where are their Achilles heels? Something like that. The, the, the reports that they got back tended to be compact because that's what um, both Antonio Fernandez and Paco Jimenez were told to do. But how did they get it? This in 2010, Neil, was still long before the, the utter domination of, of scouting by easily segmented video footage and... Y Scout and all the other programs that are available. This was a case in South Africa of learning what the expression on a wing and a prayer was about. Because these two fellas, who I said fitted together, literally crammed themselves into tiny wee twin prop planes and nicked about the vast country that is South Africa. So, in and, and this had been going on throughout the tournament including in the group because in the group the draw made last the previous December is sufficient that a lot of work can be done on the rivals but by the time you reach um, June in South Africa people will have dropped off a little bit in form or injuries a shape might have changed even a coach might have changed so Antonio and Paco are nicking about the country and I remember talking this was post tournament to Paco Jimenez, one interview during the tournament, one post, and he says here, my job as a scout for Vicente always involved trying to gather as much information as possible about opponents. I then produced a written report and an audiovisual presentation for the players. The report covered everything, their playing style, their systems, a detailed account of how they moved line by line in defence, midfield and attack, their strategy and an analysis of each player individually. But in South Africa, to get that information, I had to take several short trips by twin propeller aeroplane to see a match maybe a thousand kilometres away. I made these journeys of 90 minutes or even two hours in tiny planes. And I quote him from our interview saying, one time I arrived and realised there was no stairs up to the plane. I asked how I was meant to get up there and I was told to jump onto the wing and crawl in through a window. 
And my conclusion in, in the book that we published together was this is how World Cups are won. And there, there's a real importance that Paco Jimenez had been um, a Real Madrid player on the fringes at the same time as, as Dabowski, but he'd never quite made it in the way that Dabowski did. But the friendship stuck between the two men. And eventually, towards um, the, the, the early part of his post-playing career, Vicente Del Bosque was in the, uh, the youth system, what they call La Fabrica, the factory, um, where Real Madrid are supposed to produce gems. And Paco Jimenez was incorporated in there, and the more that Vicente Del Bosque moved up uh, the ladder, until he, he, John Tushat was sacked in, um, I'd say, late autumn, early winter 1999, Paco Jimenez then becomes the scout that helps Vicente Del Bosque power Real Madrid to two Champions League titles and a handful of leagues and um, world uh, world club cups. There was a surge of trophies for this partnership. Talent and the ability to, to see things, that's, that's really the basis of what this relationship was about. But friendship an understanding of each other's needs. And on the part of those who had to jump into twin prop, tiny little planes, in the middle of winter, don't forget, in South Africa, where there were storms, where there, there were occasions where wings or, or rotors needed de-icing because of the freezing temperatures, you, you, you don't just need to be doing your job either for your salary or in the belief that you might contribute to a tournament win. You need to be either a friend or, or have love and respect for the guy you're doing it for. And, and particularly for Paco Jimenez, that was his relationship with Vicente Del Bosque because <laughs> in very literal terms, folks, he went the extra mile and, and it counted. The extra mile in the round of 16, while Spain were edging out Portugal in Cape Town, the match between Paraguay and Japan was taking place in Pretoria. One of the guys you write, who relish the day after the scouting trip, who relish the sort of day spent devouring tape on their next opponents, is Xavi Hernandez. And we haven't spoken much about your favourite during this miniseries, so I thought this might be a good time to sort of talk about a side of his game or a side of his preparation that I don't think you and I have discussed much. You know, I think people forget because Xavi Hernandez didn't simply become one of the top two players that Spain ever produced. He he became adored, I think, around the world. I think from having been under-recognised, he's now a byword for what people enjoyed about Barcelona and Spain. And I mean around the world, irrespective of culture or language or age or gender. I think Xavi was a footballer that once people understood what he was doing and once he reached the apogee of his skills, his way of uh, laying out a carpet of football in front of teammates, and, and that lasted for, let's say that lasted for six or seven years, he became adored and popular and a byword for the Spanish game. Xavi is possessed by football and what you're alluding to is that as part of his normal habits one of the things that has made him 
better and better and better throughout the years is that he'll restudy his own game, the games, the performances of his teammates, but he'll also look at opposition and he'll soak it up and he'll assimilate it and he won't kind of go, oh, well, they do this, therefore I'm going to do that. He'll build up a gigantic database in his head which says, well, against this formation, it's good to do this. Or that player doesn't like to turn, does like to turn, will press me, won't press me. This isn't half, marks tight, doesn't mark tight, relies on his pace, reads the game well, reads the game badly. Just, you could go on a whole list of these things. And during the World Cup, he doesn't lose that habit. They didn't know whether it was Japan or Paraguay they were going to be facing. So you need to have heaps of information to be able to process it quickly and then to be able to apply it. Unless you're one of those footballers that just says, well, I'm just going to go out and be me and uh, the, the coach will give us an hour the day before the game and then he'll remind us about three points in addressing them. That's fine. I'm just going to go out and stamp all over them because I'm brilliant. Now, there are many footballers like that, but Xavi's not one. And therefore, he did what you're talking about. Uh, Pablo Peña, who was the video um, technician with uh, Spain, w- would cut up what Paco and Antonio brought back. Um, he'd, he'd put it into packages for Vicente del Bosque. But Xavi would often ask him for longer cuts. Give me more information. Or he'd have videos that he'd prepared himself of potential rivals. And... You know, this fits into the context of us talking time and time again about the, the the lust for training that Spain had. So they'd often do two sessions in a day, not just to, to fine-tune themselves, but to fight off boredom. Or they'd play cards, or they'd gather in each other's rooms at night, lots of them, heaps of them. If you put a theme tune to what Spain will let across the tournament, it's be madness and our house. There's always something happening and it's usually quite loud and Pepe Rain will be the, the one who's making all the noise. But there, was, it was, there were bundles of characters. There wasn't a person who didn't fit. There wasn't a, a person who'd be looked after. And that's the, the reason I raise this. It, if there was ever anybody consistently missing for an hour or, or leaving soonest, it'd be Chavi because he had things to do. And those things to do eventually would, um, would make him one of one of the two or three most important Spain players as as they win the World Cup for the first time. So Xavi's watching tape, but the first and second choice keepers for Spain are preparing in a different way. Graham, talk about what you saw from Pepe Reina and Ike Casillas and how Reina's club season was about to play into this World Cup quarterfinal. This is magical. This is absolutely magical because, you know, you... you you, you feel like a little kid in a candy shop um, simply being allowed to watch training all the time because it's it's like, which do I eat first, gobstoppers or sherbet dips? Or do I watch, do, do I listen for the, for the jokes? Do I, do I watch for the teasing? Do I listen for what the, the coach shouts at the players? So, for example, there was one in the, I forget which night, I, th- I think it was possibly... In the in the in the night before the Italy match in Euro two thousand and eight, Luis Aragonés sets up a training session, and he kind of says, "That was absolute rubbish. Let's do it all again." You you were all crap. That's what, now this time try and do what I told you and try and score. And you're like, "Okay, that's different." And then the end, when you've been allowed to see the sixty or the seventy minutes, or sometimes ninety minutes, depending on where you are in the match match um, warm down 
match schedule. They stay on. And and sometimes there's a little bit of free kick taking. Sometimes there's just a little bit of passing the ball around. Sometimes people just sit out and use a ball to sit on and, and chat a little bit. But the number one Barnum and Bailey show is Ike Casillas and Pepe Reina. Two completely different looking guys. Ike, um, Cliff Richard size and dark haired and, and, and lithe and instinctive. Pepe Reina, still nightclub bouncer size. A voice that would make foghorn leghorn sound mute. And they're challenging each other. And and although Cadiz is really at the heart of Pippi Reina, his dad was Atleti. At heart, he's probably Atleti. Iker is born and bred Real Madrid. Not just as a goalkeeper or a captain. If he hadn't made it as a footballer, he'd have been in the Curvasur cheering on Real Madrid. That's what he feels about the club. And they're absolute buddies. They shouldn't be, but they are. And at the end of almost every training session, they'll start with a little challenge. And what I didn't know when I began to witness this was that there'd be 50 euros or a dinner as a bet on it. And then as they're going on, it'll be so even that what's meant to be 10 penalties will be 20 penalties. And I've seen it go up to 30 penalties to find a winner. And occasionally, um, depending on who the staff have been, there might be somebody saying, lads, come on, give it a rest. And it's like total deaf ear from from Reina and Casillas. And, I mean, genuinely, if you amassed Panenka and Sergio Ramos and Pirlo and Dennis Irwin and whatever, um, you probably wouldn't see uh, better penalties. And gradually, as the... The days become weeks in, in tournaments. It emerges that Reina is slightly the better. Not necessarily always the better in saving penalties, but his taking. If I had to put my house on any, never mind Chilavert, on any goalkeeper scoring a penalty, it would be Pepe Reina. Absolutely full range. Top either corner, low either corner, Panenka's, um, Spooking his opposition, well, his opposition is, is he kind of spooking him into diving and then putting it straight down the middle and putting it with ultra power to within millimetres of, of the top corner, hitting the side panel, very rarely misses. And we just get to stand and watch this, watch the banter, watch the psychology, watch the one-on-one. And it, in the moment of being purely entertained and thinking, how how lucky am I that this is my way of earning a living? You you don't register the degree to which two things are happening. There's there's a there's an even tighter bond forming between the two of them. Just like two just like the perennial two kids or a brother and a sister, uh, two mates out the back garden or on the street through time memorial since football became popular. It's the same thing that's happening. It doesn't matter about the salaries, it doesn't matter what's at stake. Kicking a football to each other or at each other bonds you. And the other thing that's happening that doesn't occur to me at the time is they're sharpening. They're sharpening each other up. They are they are honing their, their thinking process, their psychology, their reaction time. 
their comfort in diving one particular way to the nth degree, and it's going to make a it's going to make a gigantic difference, particularly in this match. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Some of you may remember Oscar Cardozo, who was leading the line for Paraguay at this tournament. Um, Pepe Reina certainly did, as well as watching his penalty from the shootout against Japan. Pepe Reina had faced Benfica as Liverpool's goalkeeper in that season's Europa League. And as Liverpool qualified across two ties, he'd actually faced two penalties from Cardozo. Now, Cardozo was preparing to face Ica Casillas, and I'm sure if he was thinking about how the opposition goalkeeper was going to react to any potential penalty that he might be asked to take, he was thinking about Ica. He might not really have been fully aware that the next keeper down for Spain, the keeper on the bench, was the same guy that he'd faced twice in Europe that season. But all of this is going to come into play. So the match at Ellis Park begins. It's not a duplicate of the Chile game, but Spain are finding it difficult. Is that fair, Graham? They're suffering. They look underprepared. They look as if they've taken something for granted. They are being, you're right, it's not a duplicate in that as, as lively as Chile looked in the first 15, 20 minutes uh, before Iniesta takes over that, that all or nothing match. Paraguay work at a rate that irrespective of their lack of super names, they work at a rate whereby it really does look that there's two of them for every Spain player. And that can only happen when one side is not fully switched on. And Spain are not only being chased to within an inch of their lives, making true 
um, Chavi's um, prediction. He used he used a, a really specific phrase prior to the match. He said Paraguay need to be taken very seriously. They run like wolves. They press. They're complicated. They run like wolves. Neil, think about that. He meant that. I wasn't simply reaching for a colourful adjective. And, and I think it's really important to say that before anything else happens, and this is a massively theatrical knockabout slapstick match, before any of that takes place, Paraguay should be 1-0 up. That run of 1-0-1-0-1-0-1-0 to Spain win should have been broken. Moreto with the lonely chase. Three of his teammates in the middle, including Cardoso. It might fall here. He's offside. Nelson Valdez just ahead of Oscar Cardozo as it was played down to him. Well, this was the uh, the goal that wasn't. Cardozo, you can see, was offside here as it was played into him. But did he get a touch? If he didn't touch it, and I don't think he did, then maybe this should have stood because Nelson Valdez looked as though he might have been onside when that ball was hit across. Poor old Nelson Valdez. The ball comes in. Busquets, just like he does in central midfield against Switzerland, find, finds himself the one who's jumping for the ball. And Nelson Valdez is onside, controls it by the ball. To, even though Ellis Park is soggy, it's been raining, it's, it, the pitch has got frozen, it's melted and it's been rained on again, it's chopped up. It takes a fiery bounce off the surf, surface and, and the Paraguayan striker leans over the ball. It doesn't quite control it as it bounces up on his belly, but somewhere about his between his belly and the bottom of his ribcage, he makes a brilliant control, improvised control, sweeps it home with his right foot and it's a goal. And and the the linesman rules it out and and it's just, you know, completely wrong. And if there was VAR then, Spain are one nil down, it's as simple as that. And it's a coincidence, but it's still it's still true, that um, Paraguay's most legendary footballer ever, Jose Chilavert talks about um, Carlos Alberto Batres, who, who's the referee, and says he's, he's, the, he's the worst in history. Why have we got him for this game? And, but it's his Lionel who lets him down. And, and at that stage, that's a way to respond to what you said. Before Spain are in this match, they're nearly out of it. We should remind listeners at this point that in the last game, which was another one of these 1-0 victories for Spain, Spain's own goal should have been well, would have been today ruled out via VAR. So although their march to this World Cup is is breathtaking and era-defining in many ways, if you look at it as the jewel in the crown of their of their treble, there are definitely several moments where the whole story could have turned and they definitely get away with one there. It's the rub of the green and against Portugal, it's the rub of the green and maroon. And, and when you say own goal, you mean the goal they scored because there's their no question of yes. the Villa's, Villa's offside. And it's a good yes, reminder exactly. because this is at least as fortunate. And this this accumulates in, in Spain not really coming to grips um, with Paraguay. Um, Tata Martino's side, Tata Martino, un, unknown to me at this stage, the Argentinian midfielder for uh, Boca Juniors and somebody who's a huge admirer of the Barcelona side but I, I wasn't aware of exactly what Xavi knew about exactly how he wanted his team to play in this and Neil all I'm saying is that until after half time when they're staring into the precipice I don't think Spain are, are, are representing themselves at all well in this quarter final match Well you say that they didn't get to grips with Paraguay but 
at the very beginning of a completely bonkers passage of play, Gerard Piquet certainly does get to grips with Cardoso in the in the penalty box. <laughs> yeah, all right. N- n- now we're talking the same language because it's a ridiculous, it's a ridiculous penalty. The first corner of the night for Paraguay. Benito looking to tease it over. Cardoso was being pulled over and the penalty is given. And Oscar Cardoso was being pulled and pulled as he tried to make his run. The second time in the same match, the ball isn't challenged for properly and, and Piquet just decides that he wants to separate Oscar Cardoso's arm, uh, left arm from his body. And it's, it's like a tug of war. It's nothing to do with the ball or the referee. It's Oscar going, all right, mate, I, I'm going to use this in later life. Will you leave me alone? And Pete says, I've got my whole body wrapped around you and I'm never letting you go, darling. It's, it's unbelievable. And here's where your build-up works because prior to the match, the, the two chums from the penalty shoots out, shootouts in training, uh, Reina and Casillas, Reina just says to him, look, apropos of nothing, Ica, captain, Liverpool and Benfica, I've played Cardoso, I think they, I'm pretty sure Liverpool put them out after a really big second leg. Cardoso scores two penalties, scores three times across two legs. And Reina just says, look, I faced him twice in, in really crucial situations. And he says, Cardoso goes to his right and the keeper's left. That's what he does. Now, you've already pointed out that not unnaturally against Japan, when you're in a shootout and you know you're in a tournament, where you've been studied, video analysis is a big you know, deal, even by 2010. There's plenty of information being cut up in snippets and keepers, if they choose, can study and study and study. Um, Ochoa has been Spain's goalkeeping key coach forever and ever and ever. When it goes to the quarterfinals in Euro 2008 against Italy, Iker says to him, leave me alone, get out of my face. I'm in a bubble. And Iker's like that. I'll, I'll, I'll do this. He thinks he's a cat. He he thought that modern training and 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 studying of data was not for him, and that made him brilliant when he was at his peak, and it made him wobbly, say by twenty fourteen when he comes for that thing in the European Cup final against Atleti in Lisbon and flaps it and misses and and big old Godin scores and and Ica needs rescuing by Sergio Ramos in the in the ninetieth minute, but in this match, it's enough for Ica to already be thinking. I know what Cordoso's going to do here. Last time out against Japan, he went his unnatural way. This time, he is definitely going to go to my left. I'm going to dive left. But on the touchline, just in case Ica's caught up in something else or he's distracted, Pepirena is up, roaring at Ica. And he's not saying he's going left or he's going right. He's just going, remember, remember. And Iker just gives him a little acknowledgement. I've got you. I know. And the penalty set up. Here comes Cardozo. On that left foot, Casillas with a fantastic save. Getting down and holding on. And a man who's been much maligned this season for Real Madrid has just shown you why he's still Spain's number one. And Oscar Cardoso takes a decent run up, makes an okay connection. And, and to be frank, the drama is not in the actual save because Iker knows, he comes off his line a little bit. He, he, a, a little low dive with the ball hitting his midriff is enough to say that Cardoso's hit better penalties. But the big thing is Iker has dived knowing. 
he's sure. And it's a save. And the, the, even in the moment there, as we're, as we're, because as Iker releases the ball to build the move, which will go straight up the pitch, he just gives a little thumbs up and, and that was your one points to Pipirena. And, and all of us are watching, first, me watching, I didn't know what that was about and I couldn't hear um, exactly what Pipirena was shouting in the moment. But what becomes clear was that that was two men at the peak of their powers going, we know what's going to happen and we'll help each other. Typical Pipirena. But Neil, you, you talked about the drama and the theatre as the ball goes straight up the pitch and literally the move is non-stop, just straight up the pitch as, as Iker's saved. And immediately... Um, Sister, the referee reckons he sees a foul and I think he definitely did see a foul and here comes Villa oh he's given it another penalty within a space of a moment and the penalty drama switches to the other end what's happened is that as um, Villa goes through it's the it's the sort of climax of a beautiful move that will be one that will be repeated in the Champions League final of 2011, where Xavi is just waiting for Iniesta to run into a space between the lines. He doesn't want Iniesta be, to be between the lines. He wants just that little darting run that um, Iniesta is, is able for. And as Xavi releases him, Villa's on the run. The ball lands nicely in front of the Asturian striker, Spain's number seven, the guy who was who tipped Raul out of the side under Aragonés and was something of a hate figure for Madridistas. And now at nil-nil, with Ica just having saved a penalty, he's running through on Villar, the, the, the Paraguayan goalkeeper. And for whatever reason, he reckons that it's better to win a penalty than it is to shoot. Because he does that clever thing that strikers... Do he just puts the anchors on, and Alcaraz, who's trying to catch him, clatters him from behind. He bundles him over. It's like a bowling ball going through ten pins, and it, it's there is no question for Batres Gonzalez that it's a penalty. And at this stage, it looks like you've got your archetypical. We should have been one nil down, and we're about to go one nil up. I still think he has to sell the contact. I, I'm not sure that there's enough that he's not going to get a shot off if he so wishes. So he gets the contact he's looking for, but I still think he has to sell the contact a little bit. You know, he he goes down in a pretty decent dive. No, with Alcaraz clambering all over him. And to be fair, um, Alberto Batres Gonzalez doesn't look the sleekest of Guatemalan referees, but he's right on the spot. He's, he, he's, he's up there like a train spotter going, what's that PXY 23 from Milton Keynes? He's right up there with his notebook and his pencil. And it's it's a penalty. It's a penalty. And and David Villa's going to step up. What? David Villa's not going to step up and score it. What the hell's happening here? Here comes Xabi Alonso. No mistakes! And Spain have the lead! But they don't because it's going to have to be taken again. Well, it is extraordinary drama here at Ellis Park now. Watch for the encroachment here. Well, you can see by a half a footstep there was a Spanish player inside the box. There's a, there's a really quite loose hierarchy um, of penalties here. In that if David Villa steps up and says, I want this, he gets it. 
But instead, it's Chabi Alonso. And Chabi Alonso has this slightly unusual, slightly angled, stuttering run where the more he runs in from his left to right, the more likely it is that he's going to try and angle the ball back towards the keeper's right hand. And in this instance, simple as pie, that's what he does. Um, VR's not able to, to get anywhere near it. Uh, Chabi Alonso's strike is, if it's not perfect, it's pretty damn near it. Um, VR just can't get it. Justo VR had faced Chabi Alonso, I don't know, five, six months before in a Real Valladolid um, Real Madrid tie. He'd been pumped 4 1. No penalty, Chabi Alonso, but they did see the whites of each other's eyes. And in this instance, Justo VR gets nowhere. But this referee who you're so in love with, uh, Carlos Batres, says, uh, well, I, I think uh, it's time for admin to be done. Um, Red Tape says that I saw half a boot. Cis Fabregas has been running too eagerly for the follow-up and Batres blows the whistle. He's not looked at the goal. He's not looked at the taker. He's been looking at the edge of the penalty box. Nobody will make the mistake of going in the box this time. Xavi Alonso. Oh, he's saved! Here's Fabregas! Crushed away! And Paraguay survive! There are two goalkeeping heroes tonight! Casillas at one end, Fear at the other! And Xavi Alonso, with one penalty hit, misses with his second. Another call for a penalty as Fabregas went down under the challenge of Villa, but not given. Xavi Alonso does a hop and a skip, changes his run-up, changes his angle. This time he pushes it right-footed as usual to Justo Villar's left-hand side. And Villar reads him, whether it's body language, whether it's a slight change in the run-up. And by the time it leaves his boot, if you watch it back, and I write this in the book, Chubby Alonso does a lot, kind of hop and a skip to, I haven't hit that. It's like a golf shot. You're like, oh, bollocks, I haven't. I said to myself, head down. And he hasn't hit it and he knows it. Justo Villar gets there. It's it's not unlike the the save from Casillas uh, that he makes from Cardotho. And the thing that drives me mad, not as a Spain fan, but as a neutral, is in the melee um, that follows and is a crazy melee. Justo Villar is up because the, the ball rebounds off him and he leaps at Sesk, who's this time encroached in the penalty area only once the ball is kicked. But slightly, I mean, one of Sesk's superpowers was not beautiful three-metre sprints. He, he was never the quickest, but he's the sharpest he's got there. And Justo Villar dives at the ball, misses the ball, absolutely floors the Catalan. It's as much, if not more, of a penalty than David Villas was. Okay, it, listen, in the rank, all-time rankings, it doesn't get right up there with Cardoso and Pique, but it's a penalty. Referee's not interested in the least. And in the kerfuffle that follows that, Paulo de Silva hoofs the ball off the line. So Spain should have been 1-0 down, weren't, should have been 1-0 up, aren't, should have had another penalty, don't have it. And I guess you begin to think to yourself with 30 minutes in the match left, ooh, infamy, infamy. They've all got it in for them. It's an absolutely riotous passage of play. Um, and it's Sergio Ramos who has that final stab after the ball breaks loose from uh, VR's foul on Fabregas, and that's what it is. Ramos has what's almost, uh, well, it's certainly a goalkeeperless goal to aim at and slides a shot from a pretty demanding angle. 
Um, but the defender's made it made his way back to the line and, and gets a really solid clearance. So, you know, there's there's almost too much to talk about in a passage of play that lasts for about, in its entirety, from one penalty to the two at the other end. And then the follow-up, probably no more than four minutes. Quite incredible. And the score's still nil-nil after all of that. It's it's a muddy pitch. Paraguay have played for this. They want a break in a 1-0 goal or they or they want extra time in penalties it's to their favour if this rumbles on Spain haven't enjoyed the passing surface very much it hasn't necessarily been their night there haven't even been moments when you're like I don't worry they've got this completely under control and I think I think what begins to happen is that Del Bosque takes a look at what's going on and reckons that if his two most creative footballers, who are Iniesta and Xavi, are being double-marked and are being crowded out, then it's possibly the case that this is time for Pedro to win them more space. The substitution he makes is, I have to admit, strange in terms of the big debate that's been going on about double pivote. But the double pivote is essentially a means of making sure that you first win the central midfield battle and then build forward with two tremendously gifted um, building players, controlling players, who are Chabi Alonso and Sergio Busquets. Del Bosque changes Alonso. And the idea is that Pedro, who is not only somebody who can open the game up wide, but who's got pace to get past a man, the key th- for me, interpreting what happens here is that he plays week in, week out with Iniesta and Xavi. He knows how to support them, how to win them space and to move into spaces that they like to feed. And this is a, a mini uh, jackpot for Del Bosque because when the goal comes, it's Iniesta who's wriggling and writhing and twisting and, and lays the ball off to his right to Pedro. And Pedro has come in from the right into a supporting space that Paraguay haven't picked up. And you and I talked about this before the recording this episode, Neil, because the quarterfinals in general in tournaments for Spain had been a bet noir, something that it had become branded on the national consciousness. And in Euro terms, that had reduced with the win over Italy because Italy too were ultra bet noirs. The, the idea of having to play a quarterfinal and it's against Italy in the Euros in 2008 was was horrendous. If you remember, Luis Aragonés was, was like, oh, Ides of March, as soon as he found out that Italy had got through. But they hadn't killed off the, the long history of quarterfinals in the World Cup being bad for them. They, they, they think about... Um, Tassotti elbowing the face off Luis Enrique in 1994 and USA 94. These aren't all in quarterfinals. They think about Nigeria's Garba Lawal trickling a shot past Zubi Zareta in 1998. They think about Al Gandur, who just appeared to have an agenda against them when South Korea knocked them out in 2002. He reckons that Joaquin's cross that gets headed in by Morientes had gone out of play when it was patently clear it hadn't. So this run of something horrendous will happen must have congealed the heart of the entire Spanish nation watching at home. Certainly there was a hush in the stadium as Iniesta slips the ball sidewards to Pedro. Pedro's about to 
score his debut World Cup goal. It's him against VR. He times it brilliantly. He leaves VR rooted to spot. He puts it across him to VR's right and hits the post. And it looks like a terrible, glaring miss. The cards are dropping from the shoe exactly as Spain want them to because the ball falls to David Villa. Iniesta. Iniesta's found some space here. Just gliding through and putting it wide. And Pedro! Oh, he's in the post! Villa has to! He's in the post! But it's finally in! They've done it the hard way! But they've done it! And it's David Villa! Who else? It's been a 1-0 up. And even though they're no longer double pivote, I remember that night in Ellis Park thinking, there is no way, there's no way that they will surrender this. Never mind the muddy psalm of a pitch. They will keep this ball. They will win this match. And I, I, I was utterly convinced that they wouldn't, that nothing would make them cede control of this match. It was only seven minutes of real time and I think three minutes of added time. And, and they, they see it out. And when the referee's whistle goes, um, it, it you can see in the celebrations that there's as much relief as there is joy. And a tough one for Paraguay. I mean, they don't really stick in my memory as, as World Cup middleweights, but that's kind of what they are from the end of the 90s right through to this point. In 98, uh, they're in Spain's group and finish above them as they, after a nil-nil draw between the two teams, they end up getting as close to as close to getting by France as anybody did. I mean, it takes a Laurent Blanc goal right at the end of extra time. I was at that game and, um, but that, I mean, that was a far, far superior Paraguay side. Um, you're right. I thought, well, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying there you go, but if you look at their ability, if you look at how they performed against France and the degree to which France were absolutely brown shorts, um, and, and it is also true that they had one of, it's slightly under-acknowledged, but they had one of the world's great central defenders at the time, Carlos Gamara, was absolutely fantastic. There was an element of Cannavaro about him. Cannavaro never towered above anybody in terms of physique, but his, his reading of things and his ability to play the ball out. And also he had a, Gamara had a ferocity in the tackle. But in terms of stature, his jump was better than it should have been. And he was the king of that team. He was the guy who said, we go this far, everybody out. That's my ball. He's your man. And I really thought Carlos Gamara was an exceptionally special um, footballer. And of course, I mean, I'm saying it now off the top of my head, but I would imagine that even taking into account players from before my time in Paraguay, their their leader, um, José Chilavert, um, who was in that, that 98 team um, uh, against France that, that very nearly knocked them out, that certainly made them suffer. Um, I, I would have said that that was their, he's their best ever footballer. And they had a, a wider um, a range of talent and it was a better side than Tata Martino had, uh, however many, 12 years later. And and you're right, so, so Paraguay, and if I'm not wrong, I think you said it, because I don't believe Paraguay had ever been as far as the quarterfinals before, uh, and 2010 was the furthest they ever got. 
Four years later in, in 02, they get to the round of 16 once again. Again, they're in Spain's group. They qualify with Spain. Spain beat them 3-1 in the group stages. But then in the round of 16, they're against Germany, and it takes a, an Oliver Neuville goal um, on 88 minutes. So once again, they're within touching distance twice in consecutive World Cups um, of getting past the, the round of 16. I don't think on their calling card it says Paraguay, World Cup entertainers. I, th I think that they're a, they're a squad that, that has perpetually said, we will maximise our talent. We will make it hard for you to play. And if you go 1-0 if, if down to us, look out. Hence the reason that we've made such a fuss about Pepe Reina and Iker Casillas. Because if they go 1-0 down at that stage, having already illegitimately been robbed of the lead um, from Nelson Valdez's close-in finish, there's a right good chance that the story isn't being told and Spain don't win three international trophies in the trot and, and they don't have that one star on their badge. So Tata Martino would, would later come to Barcelona, fail... Um, and would prove himself to be a really interesting, articulate, but overly gentle man. And that's not the way his team looked that night. They were coached by an Argentinian, and the way he understood Spanish football, uh, partly Paraguay's performance that night was informed by the fact that Tato Martino loved the, the Spanish and particularly the Barca school of football to the extent that not long after the World Cup he takes his son over to Camp Nou for a match a Liga match doesn't tell the hierarchy at Barcelona that he's turning up there does the museum tour buys stuff from the shop goes to the match eats his butifara hot dog and goes home that's how humble he is and the fact that he gets appointed out of the blue at Santa Rosé's whim um, is is his bad luck because it's come at the wrong time and it doesn't quite click between him and the players. Overly humble, but I think he was able to inform Paraguay how to shut Spain down because he was such an aficionado of how Spain and Barcelona played in that era. All it meant was, Neil, I think summing it up, certainly he was facing rivals of better quality, but you know, I think the truth of it is, it just wasn't his night. Would it be Spain's as they prepare to face, in four days' time, Germany in their first ever World Cup semi-final? Also in the hat, by the way, Holland, who have turned around a 1-0 half-time deficit to beat Brazil 2-1. Thank you, Wes Snyder, for those two goals. Germany get there by defeating Argentina 4-0, forcing both Diego Maradona and Leo Messi, possibly the two greatest footballers ever to play the game, to break down in tears after the game. And Uruguay, who have drawn 1-1 and then got by Ghana on penalties. There's not much to remember that game by a fairly vanilla affair. Who won't we be seeing in the semi-finals? Poor old Luis Suarez, who, who fancied just doing a little bit, I don't know, basketball, handball, whatever, and, and robbing uh, Ghana of a chance to go through. And then if I, I mean, I haven't looked back, if I don't remember badly, he's kind of sitting on the sidelines. He's sent off in the very last minute of extra time. He's sitting on the sidelines, cheering and clapping in an area where he shouldn't be having been red carded. And Sebastian L Loco Abreu, uh, because Sebastian... Abreu doesn't cover it. He's just around South American football. This this vagabond gypsy moth barnstorming football is just called Loco Abreu because 
local is an international world word now, and um, he scores his penalty against poor old Richard Kingston with such panache after Dominic Adaya misses and Blumen Suarez isn't going to be playing in that semi-final because he's been sent off. But um, boy, oh boy, oh boy. And if I'm not wrong, is it not poor old Asamoa Gaian who was the, the hard luck story victim of the entire World Cup because when Suarez handles, it's Gaian who takes the penalty, um, doesn't convert it. It goes eventually to the shootout and Dominic Adaya joins Gaian in missing a penalty. And El Loco Abreu takes advantage of <laughs> another loco in Luis Suarez, as you point out, won't play against the pass of the, the Dutchies, but he's got his team where he wanted them to be. And we'll see who comes out on top between the Netherlands and Uruguay, but we're focusing on Germany and Spain next time on World Cup 2010 Revista. For now, Graham Hunter, sharp, sharp. Shabalala. The Big Interview with Graham Hunter is produced by Backpage. If you're enjoying Graham's tales from the 2010 World Cup, may I recommend to you the audiobook Spain, the inside story of La Roja's historic treble. That's Graham's book on all three of Spain's tournament wins from 08 to 2012. There's over 16 hours of content, including profiles of the two coaches who took them there, detailed diaries from all three tournaments, and a breakdown of the systems that produced a golden era for Spain. And it's all read by Graham. Find out more about the audiobook of Spain, the inside story of La Roja's historic treble at backpagepress.co.uk forward slash books forward slash Spain. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.